We continue our sermon series in 1 John. If you have a Bible, open to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, uh, words will be on the screen behind me. Also, in our church app, uh, you'll find a sermon listening guide that has the scripture printed at the top of uh, that guide as well. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We live in a world filled with signs. Here are a few examples. If you have chest discomfort or you feel pain or discomfort in your arm or your shoulder, that would be a sign of a heart attack. If you're thirsty and feeling dizzy or lightheaded, that would be a sign of dehydration. If you're at the beach, not so much in Jacksonville probably, but if you're at the beach and the water begins to recede very rapidly, that would be a sign of a tsunami. If the sky turns dark and even greenish and you hear what sounds like a freight train coming, that would be a sign of a tornado. If you see little green buds, on leafless tree branches. That would be the sign of spring. If you see leaves that have turned yellow, orange, or red, not so much in Jacksonville, but that would be a sign of, of fall. What are the signs of knowing God? And by knowing God, I don't mean knowing about God, knowing information about God, but knowing God personally. What are the signs of knowing God personally? John points out here one of the very important signs of knowing God, and that is love for others that love for others is a sign of knowing God. Andrew Murray, he's a pastor and writer, says this, 
my relationship with God is part of my relationship with men. Failure in one will cause failure with the other. That's another way of saying that loving God and loving others are two sides of the same coin. The question is why? Why is loving others a sign of loving or knowing God? First, because loving others is the completion of knowing God. Verses three and four. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, what commandments is John talking about here? Well, this word commandment or command is used 14 times in this letter of 1 John. And when it's used in the singular form, command or commandment, every time it is explicitly talking about Christ's command to love others. And when it's in the plural form, every time except for two, it is explicitly talking about Christ's command to love others. So what John is speaking of here with the commandments is not the Ten Commandments. It's not the broad commandments of God. It is the command to love one another. So verses three and four could read, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his command to love one another. What's the word know mean? Well, I said it earlier. John uses the word know here not to speak of general knowledge or facts or information about God. John speaks of the word know here in a relational sense, to know God personally to have a relationship with God. And, and he says, you can't claim to know God apart from loving others. The question is, why? Why? Verse five. But whoever keeps his word, another way of saying keeps his commands to love one another, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Now, the phrase love of God and perfected, what do those mean? Love of God could mean God's love for you. Or it could mean your love for God. Well, here, love of God means your love for God. And we know that because later in the letter, in chapter 5, verse 3, John says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, love for God. So what John is saying is love for God is perfected. Now what's the word perfected mean? It's a word that means to complete. It's a word in John's gospel that Jesus uses repeatedly to describe completing the work that the Father gave him to do. So John says love for God is completed when you love others. That loving others is the completion of loving God. Maybe you had this experience growing up as a child, or if you have children now, maybe you've experienced this. I have. 
Your child gets a worksheet or an assignment at school. And they do the assignment, they answer the questions, and they answer the questions really well, and they turn it in without their name on the top of the paper. So the teacher grades it, sends it home with your child, and this worksheet comes home, and you look at it, and at the top there is a zero. You say, well, wait a minute. I mean, my child answered most of the questions, actually did really well. Problem is, the child didn't complete the assignment by putting their name on the top of the paper. If love for God is an assignment, so to speak, which it is a command, it's the first commandment to love God, then you can answer a lot of questions well in that assignment. You can read and study your Bible with others. Uh, you can pray regularly. You can worship on Sundays and do so passionately. You can do your daily devotions. But if you fail to love others, your love for God is incomplete. You get a zero, so to speak. Why is love for others a sign of knowing God? Because first, the act of loving others is the completion of the act of loving God. But second, love for others is a sign of knowing God because it's the conduit of love from God. Verse six, whoever says he abides in him, speaking of Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. John says we know we're in Christ if we walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? How did he walk that we're supposed to emulate how he walked? Verse seven. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, the beginning that John's speaking of here is when his hearers first responded to the gospel. They first heard the gospel to believe in Jesus and then to go love others as Jesus had loved them. But this old new commandment is, is not new. It shows up in John's gospel, in John chapter 13, right after Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He says this in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know. Here's the knowing God, knowing Christ, that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus had just stooped to the level of a slave had gotten down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. It was an unbelievable act of sacrificial love. But nothing compared to what would happen when he died on the cross. So the command to, to walk as Jesus walked, to love as Jesus loved, is, is straightforward. It's clear that we're to love sacrificially. And we're going to get into more detail what that looks like with the love-hate at the end of the passage. But the question is why? Why are we to walk as Jesus walked? 
There's a lot of possible answers to that question. Verse eight, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John says, you're to walk as Jesus walked. You're to love as Jesus loved because something's happening. Something has happened. When Jesus walked the earth, the kingdom of God broke in to this dark world. The kingdom of light broke into this dark world. And John says, with the coming of Christ and his kingdom having come, the darkness is passing away and the light of Christ is shining and is breaking in to this world. So the true light that John's speaking of here is not your light. This is the brilliant light of Christ in his earthly ministry and what it set in motion, which is the kingdom breaking in. So when John says, go love one another, he's saying that when you love one another, you become a conduit through which the love of God and the light of Christ flows and moves into the lives of others. Right? You know what a conduit is. That's, a, that's a, a pipe that carries the electrical wires. There's no power in and of the pipe itself. It just carries the power that moves through it. John's saying when you love one another, you're like that conduit. That the true light of Christ and the love of God is shining through that to that person, right? to the world around you. Let me explain it this way. Imagine that uh, it's a bright, sunny day outside, and you're in a room in your house that has windows, but there are blackout shades pulled down over the windows. So the room is just pitch black. Imagine if you, to light that room, decided you're going to pull your phone out and turn your flashlight on, and you walked around, and you were shining your flashlight. That would be one way to light that room. It'd be your light, right? You turn it on, you're lighting the room, not very effective, the other way is to simply pull the shades up and allow this external source of light, the sunlight, to flood into the room. When you love others, it is pulling the shades up, so to speak, and allowing the light of Christ and the love of God to flow into that person's life. Now, I'm about to ruin a children's song for you. So I'm warning you that I'm gonna ruin this children's song for you. My purpose is not to ruin it, but my purpose is if you have children, to use this as a teaching opportunity. Okay, I'm not gonna sing it, I'll spare you that. No, I'm not gonna sing it, not happening. But here it is. This little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Here's the problem with that song. It's not your light. It's the light of Christ. 
that flows through you when you love others, but it's not your light. There was a movement, and this happened years ago. Uh, I'm gonna date myself here. It's a Christian movement. It was the uh, WWJD movement. And WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea was, look at how sacrificial Jesus was, look at how loving he was, look at how he lived his life. Now, what would he do in this situation? And you go do the same. There's a lot of pushback on that movement because what it seemed to communicate is that Christianity is about Jesus as an example that we're to follow. And the pushback was Jesus isn't primarily an example, he's a savior, right? He did what we can't do to save us. And so the pushback came in the form of WDJD, right? What did Jesus do? Now, I don't think that pushback movement created bracelets like the WWJD bracelets that were everywhere, everywhere. I'm gonna add a third alternative to that or a third option. And that is WIJD, which is what is what is Jesus doing by the Holy Spirit through his people who are loving others? Right? We're, we're not called to replicate Jesus' earthly ministry. That, that's actually very common. There are hundreds of examples of men and women who have lived noble, courageous lives of integrity that are worthy of emulation, and often what happens is when that person dies, you say, wow, look at their life. I'm gonna vow to live my life like that person. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not how we treat Jesus' earthly ministry. It's not a ministry we replicate. It's a ministry that we continue by the power of the Holy Spirit through the way that we love others. Jesus' earthly ministry continues. And it continues through his people. So why is love for others a sign of knowing God? First, the act of loving others is the completion of the act of loving God. Second, love for others is a, a conduit through which God's love flows through us to others. And Jesus' earthly ministry continues. But third, love for one another reveals the heart of God. It reveals the heart of God. Verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now this verse describes the very sad split that happened in this early church. This is a church, as I said last week, there was a group that pulled out of this church and started their own fellowship. And what it resulted in is believers hating each other. Believers hating believers. Now here's the question. What does hate mean? What does John mean when he says hate? Most of us hear that word hate and, and let ourselves off the hook. Right, because we we define hate as this almost pathological, violent animosity towards someone that is with great intention to harm them. 
So we, with that definition, say, I'm off the hook for hate. It's highly unlikely that these believers in this early church were plotting out uh, their way of murdering each other. Okay, so, so what exactly then does John mean by hate? Jesus gives us insight in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. He says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus defines hate as exclusion, as rejection, and as insult. There's a great example of this in John chapter 9. It's a passage that talks about Jesus healing a blind man who was blind from birth. And after Jesus healed this blind man, the religious authorities questioned the blind man and said, who healed you? And he said, this man named Jesus. They didn't like the answer. So they went to his parents, said, who healed your son? They said, I'd go ask my son. They went back to the son and said, who healed you? And he gave testimony to the work of Christ. And they rejected him. And they casted him out. Their commitment to a theological point regarding the relationship between sin and human suffering crushed any ability for them to show compassion to this blind man who had been healed. Their commitment to being right stripped them of the ability to love, stripped them of the ability to show compassion. And so they excluded, they insulted, they rejected this man who had been healed. What do we learn from that story? We learn this. You can hate people by being right. You can hate people by being right. You can exclude people in the name of being right. You can reject people in the name of being right. You can insult people in the name of being right. Now, those of you that struggle with this are right now thinking, but what about truth? Are you saying we should just forget about truth? No, not at all. But 99% over the, of the issues over which you have to be right are issues of personal preference and not doctrine. They're issues of personal preference. And the reason that you and I have to be right is because so often functionally our worth and our reputation and our significance is tied to being right. That's why self is always at the center of hatred. You know, through the centuries, through the years, people identify these movements that are marked by hate, but they say, but it's in the name of a righteous cause, in the name of a religious cause. No, no. Self is always at the center of hate. Hatred is always selfish. 
And that's why hatred always dwells in the darkness. And when hatred dwells in the darkness long enough, it intensifies and then it begins to self-justify. That's what we see in verse 11. But whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and then here it is, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see the progression there. You go from living and walking in the darkness to a place where then the darkness actually blinds you so you can't see whether it's dark or light anymore. The prophet Isaiah says this in, in chapter 520. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. The story of Jesus healing the blind man is a great example of this. They were so blinded by the darkness, they weren't even aware of their lack of love and compassion towards this blind man. They were convinced they were right, and they were in the light. But their being right had produced hatred, and they couldn't even see it. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who expressed how you have hurt them? I hope everybody would nod to that one. Somebody expresses to you how you have hurt them. Have you ever responded this way or thought this way? But I was just trying to point out how you were wrong and what was right. Just trying to show you what was right because how you were thinking was wrong. And have you ever been completely blinded to your lack of love and compassion in that moment? That's what the darkness of hatred does. Blind to compassion, blind to love. Here's the question. Who are you currently rejecting, excluding, or insulting in the name of being right? Now, I've just looked at it on the interpersonal level, right? individual relationships, but there's hatred beyond that on a communal level within the body of Christ, within the church that has skyrocketed over the past year. I read an article this past week called The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul. And the author noted how there are couples and there are friends, and there are families, and even churches who are dividing, who used to be unified in their commitment to Christ, but who are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable different differences in how they view the world, and even becoming incomprehensible to one another. And this author was asking the question, why is this happening? And he made an interesting point. He said, media consumption has been on the rise for years in our digital world. But over the past year, media consumption has skyrocketed. 
because people have been looking for information to explain what's happening in our world. All the events that have taken place in the last year. And he says, as believers are in different and separate media worlds and spending less time in the Word of God, that they are finding less in common with each other. And I would say even going beyond less in common with each other, finding reasons to exclude, reject, or insult, finding reasons to, to hate one another. We have one source of authority, and it's the Word of God. Are you dwelling in it? The writer of this article said it well. He said, the longer we give ourselves to media gluttony, skimping on the deeper nourishment that cultivates Christ within us, the less we will have in common. And I would add, the more likely we will hate one another in the form of exclusion, insult, or rejection than we will to love one another. Hatred is self-centered. Love is other-centered. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. That word stumbling means causing someone else to sin, right? The emphasis is here on the other. Love is other-centered, that when you abide in the light, when you love your brother and sister selflessly, you don't cause them to stumble. Love is other-centered. But the question is, how do you do this? Where's the power to love one another in this way? There's two words in verse 10 that are key. The first is abide. That word abide means to, to dwell. Not to run through the drive-thru and pick something up and go. It means to dwell, to sit, to dwell in the light. Question is, what is the light? Second word in verse 10 is the word stumbling. That word stumbling in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, is the word scandalone. It's the same word that's used to describe the cross of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, a scandalone to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Your ability to love others well depends on you abiding in the scandal of the cross. Now, what was the scandal of the cross? As Jesus Christ hung on the cross, a man who had done nothing wrong, a man who was bearing the weight of your sin and my sin, he was mocked, he was spit at. The onlookers said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Here's the scandal. 
given the choice to prove himself and save himself or to remain on the cross and save you, he stayed on the cross. That's love. And the more that you abide, dwell in the scandal of the cross, the less you will find the need to prove yourself, to justify yourself, the less you will find the need to be right. And the more you will find the power to love others selflessly and to love others compassionately. Let's pray. Father, we confess our hatred of others. We confess our exclusion of others, our rejection of others, our insulting of others. And we recognize that that hate is, comes out of a deep well of selfishness. Oh, Father, would you turn our eyes to the cross, to the scandal of the cross, to Jesus Christ, who didn't come off the cross to prove himself or to save himself, but remained on it to save us. Father, would you fill us with love and compassion for one another? that we would abide in your love and abide in the scandal of the cross. And find the power to not have to prove ourselves or justify ourselves or to be right, but that we would find the power to love others compassionately and selflessly towards the truth of the gospel. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.